0: This podcast is brought to you by Free Buddhist Audio, the dharma for your life. Our work is funded entirely by donations from our generous listeners. If you would like to help us keep this free, make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. Thank you and happy listening. First of all, thank you all for turning out on this very wet and snowy evening. I only live about eight minutes across the park, and when I left home it was raining, and by the time I got here I was covered in snow. And thank you for not staying at home and watching who's become the Pope. (laughs) Which was just about to be decided, I think, on my radio when I left home. So, uh, I know many of your faces, so I'm assuming that um, certainly the great majority of you know a certain amount, at least theoretically, about Kalyana Mitrata, and I'm also assuming that some of you at least will have been to some of those other four, three other talks. Um, uh, It was hard to know, you know, when I was asked to do this quite who the audience is going to be, so sort of what level to engage with, but just take it as it comes, some of the stories probably will be quite familiar to some of you and um, others maybe not. And if things go over your head, don't worry. And if things are underneath you, good. <laughs> That's fine. Um, yes, so my brief was to talk a little bit about um, uh, well, it's something to do with sort of the Buddha and Kalyanamitra and the disciples of the Buddha. And it's one of those things... Any of you who've given talks, and I know some of you here are mitras and order members, sometimes when you give a talk, you're asked to give a talk on a particular theme, and you think, oh, I don't know very much about that, or, um, and then I sort of, well, anyway, then I go into a slight sort of resistance, and then I sort of do a bit of background reading. And and then I get kind of really engaged with the theme, and then I've got kind of three talks. (laughs) Anyway, um, it's one talk, and I did have to um, pare it down quite a bit. Um, So yes, um, what I'm wanting to do this evening is look a bit at the Buddha, and he, he as a Kalyana Mitra, so he as a spiritual friend to others. And also look at some of the Buddha's disciples and how they benefited from his friendship but also how they benefited to the degree that we know um, from each other's friendships. And, um, And some of it will be a little bit of speculation because some we just really don't know so I've had to use my imagination quite a bit. So, you know, from this cold and wintry night here in Cambridge sort of take yourself to the heat of India and um, I'm going to start by talking of two of the um, very close and principal disciples of the Buddha who were friends with each other Sariputra and Moggallana Um, so Moggallana um, he was born into a very wealthy and prominent Brahmin family so the sort of highest castes Um, of what is now in the state Indian state of Bihar Um, he had a very close family friend um, whose son Well, there were close families Moggallana's family and Sariputra's family were close friends Um, so this other family had a son who later became called Sariputra and these two boys of exactly the same age became inseparable friends and remained so their entire lives um, which is quite interesting to think, you know, probably how many of us have got, let alone spiritual friends, but even got ordinary friends that sort of last the whole of our lives. So these two young boys went along to, there was some festival on, we don't quite know what it is. Um, there was some entertainment going on, and these two boys went along, and they, this entertainment went over several days, maybe they were watching elephants doing tricks or whatever, we don't know. And, you know, from the excitement at the beginning, as the days went by, um, gradually kind of the excitement of it all palled on both of them. And they were left uncomfortable and they began, began to question the significance of their lives and what might happen in years to come when neither they nor the entertainers that they were watching could escape old age and death. And I don't know whether you've ever had that kind of feeling. I know um, a number of years ago when a friend of mine's son was tragically killed in a car accident. And I remember a few days later going to see some movie. I can't even remember what the movie was. And it was sort of a comedy. And I sat there and I just felt sick in my stomach. It was sort of as though I couldn't kind of take that in. Um, and all I could think about was this friend's son. And, well, and my friend, obviously, who was grieving hugely. Um, anyway, so these sort of feelings perhaps came to Sariputra and Moggallana, And they grew increasing, increasingly unhappy. And eventually they decided that they vowed to become wandering ascetics and go out and seek the truth, find a teacher and a path that would lead them to enlightenment. This is quite common in India at that time. They gave up their homes, they gave up their wealth, they gave up their lives of privilege to become begging spiritual seekers. Not only that, but they made an oath to one another that whoever would find a true teacher first would immediately inform the other one. So they weren't just going to keep it to themselves. Now in in India, you know, at that time, 2,500 years ago, um, begging holy men were a very common sight. Some formed communities around well-known teachers. One of these teachers in the jungle, one can imagine him, we don't know, but anyway, his name was Sanjaya. Um, and, you know, he taught, we don't really know exactly what he taught, but he taught something, and Sariputra and Mogalana were quite attracted to his teachings. But, as the time went by, they realised that he had no real remedy for their spiritual unease. So, they left Sanjaya and they went searching again. And you get the sense that over the next years they met many different renowned teachers, sages, mystics. But they gradually realised that these allegedly wise men knew no more than they did. And it says that after 20 years of wandering... They returned eventually to the area where they'd first left from, but they remained unsatisfied. Their spiritual quest wasn't finished. One day, the story goes, Shariputra met an uncommonly serene ascetic named Asaji. Asaji had been one of the Buddha's first disciples and companions. Again, it says, a few words of Dharma from Asaji gave Sariputra real insight. Bound by his oath, he ran to find his friend Mogalana and tell him that he'd found Asaji, and Asaji had told him of his teacher who was the Buddha and he was staying nearby. So the pair, Sariputra and Mogalana, went off to see the Buddha together. In the spirit of true brotherhood, they visited first their original teacher, Sanjaya, and invited him to come also and come and be a disciple of the Buddhas. But Sanjaya had been a revered teacher surrounded by fawning disciples for many years. Perhaps he couldn't bear the thought of being a mere student again. We don't really know. So they went without him. But many others who had great respect for these two Mogalana and Sariputra went with them to meet the Buddha and it says that when these two friends eventually came in the presence of the Buddha the Buddha saw them from afar and he proclaimed these are the blessed pair who will become my chief disciples so it's almost as though he knew from that distance it's as though he'd been awaiting for them to return to, to turn up. They were very different in character, these two. Moggallana was renowned for having psychic or supernatural powers and withdrew to the forest to apply himself to meditation. It says that he struggled a lot with sloth and torpor. Some of us might know that one. Day after day, apparently, he struggled to keep his eyes open and his posture correct. The Buddha, it says, worked patiently with his student until Moggallana successfully overcame his sleepiness problem and eventually, and we don't know what the timescale was here, became enlightened. Sariputra, on the other hand, was renowned for his great understanding and teaching of the Dharma, the Buddha's chief assistant in expounding the Dharma later in the puja we'll be doing a three fold puja later this evening and we'll have another little story about these two which brings out different aspects of their characters so these two have very complementary qualities they had their friendship with each other which you could say is a horizontal friendship and they had the vertical friendship with the buddha as the buddha had predicted mogalana and sariputra became his chief disciples And the Buddha, he didn't keep disciples just for himself. He encouraged others who would come to him to seek out Sariputra and Moggallana. He said, seek and cultivate the company of Sariputra and Moggallana. They are wise and they are helpful to their fellows in the holy life. He said, Sariputra is like a mother and Moggallana is like a nurse. Perhaps we can just be left with those images. They lived, these two, to a ripe old age, but they passed away under very different circumstances. Sariputra, recognising that his end was coming near, went to the Buddha and said he wanted to go back to his birthplace and to his mother's home and die peacefully in the same room where he was born. The Buddha gave his permission and he went off and that's exactly what happened. And the Buddha said of Sariputra, he was wise, energetic and industrious, strong as the earth in his forgiveness, full of sympathy, fellowship and love. Tragedy happened to Mogalana about a fortnight later. Mogalana was seized, beaten and murdered by members of a rival sect. And you have this very sort of touching bit in the suttas where you hear how the Buddha, when he heard of this, was greatly saddened and so affected that to relieve his mind, he moved away from Shravasti where he'd been, where he'd been residing and needed to have time on his own. And to me, this very much sort of shows the humanity of the Buddha. You know, sometimes we can read about the Buddha and maybe he seems sort of, you know, rather distant, rather aloof, But, you know, he was deeply, deeply um, saddened and affected by the death of Magallana. So, the Buddha. The Buddha, um, we know, is the perfectly enlightened one, the shower of the way. We say those words in the Puja. He was the originator of the path which had been unarisen before the producer of the path unproduced before the declarer of the path undeclared before elsewhere it's written he is the knower of the path the finder of the path one skilled in the path his disciples follow that path which ultimately leads to liberation and that's us if we consider ourselves Buddhists we are disciples of the Buddha The Buddha clearly was an exceptionally rare individual who had an enormous array of skills and understanding to enable him to establish the Dharma in the world at large and guide others to liberation from suffering. To establish the Dharma in the world presupposes a deep and lasting relationship between him and those who listen to him who reflect on his teachings, meditate. And we can see how these relationships came about from reading some of the Pali suttas, some of the older suttas. And how the Dharma was established in the world through through hearing stories from his life, from the Buddha's life and his teaching. How people would draw inspiration from meeting him From his presence, you often sort of read things. You know, somebody they saw the Buddha or they sat with the Buddha, and suddenly, you know, they've reached quite a high attainment state of um, consciousness just by being in the presence of the Buddha. From the Buddha's great insight into the nature of things and his realization of what's most important for all living beings, so very quickly around the Buddha arose the Sangha. So we've heard about Sariputra and Magalana, but gradually many more came forward. The Sangha, the spiritual community, with the Dharma as the vital element that held and still holds together, um, still holds together the teaching and lets us go beyond ourselves. The, um, the sort of brilliance of the Buddha as a spiritual master, as a spiritual teacher is not only determined by his clarity of teaching, clearly he had that, but also his ability to illuminate those who come for the teachings. The greatest, you could say, maybe, of the Buddha's disciples were, and I'd say still are today, are not mere devotees of the Buddha, but in a way have been lit up by the Dharma. Again, we say in the threefold puja, from his greater light, a lesser lamp. Or from his great, yes, from his greater light, a lesser light lamp. We light within us. So it's not just at all looking at the Buddha; it's that resonance in ourselves. The sun is valued not only for its intrinsic radiance, but also for its ability to illumine our world. In the same way. The Buddha is not only valued for his spiritual genius, but also helps us to illuminate ourselves so that we too can make progress and have far-reaching effects on others. Put in yet another way, and this is um, a way that Bhante um, Sangarekshita sometimes talks about it, the Dharma is not just to be taught, the Dharma has to be caught. The Dharma comes to life only to the extent that it touches our lives. That catching is most likely to happen with the help and support of spiritual friends. We see that when we read those stories from the Buddhist time, and we see it today. Those truth teachings that enable followers to become wiser, more compassionate, more ethical. Become more generous and of heart and thereby have an effect on the world. There's a beautiful um, piece in the um, Pali Canon um, of uh, the, the, the sort of time when the Buddha had just died, his parinirvana, and Ananda, who had been his very close cousin and very close disciple, remembering the Buddha, said, He who has died, the Buddha. He who is so kind. And that always sort of strikes me. There are so many qualities you must have been able to say about the Buddha. You know, his clarity of his teaching, his energy, blah, 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 blah. And Ananda said, he who was so kind. The Buddha had great understanding of the human situation, the human predicament. What it means to be born human and live a very full human life. And he taught according to that understanding. Not just theorizing about this or that teaching, practice this, do that, but he would listen to a particular person, a particular situation, ask questions before jumping to conclusions, befriending them so as to clarify what was going on, understanding their natures, and often witnessing at first hand what was going on And only then give appropriate teaching. So, you know, that's what I think today sometimes we call applied Dharma. The Dharma has to be applied to our life. He clearly never wanted to keep what he had realised to himself and um, quickly realised the import of the spiritual community. And we know that he's taught all sorts of very different kinds of people are put here from simple peasants to arrogant royalty teaching appropriate to the individual and their particular situation now it said that once he gathered around him um, 61 Arahants so those are disciples of quite high spiritual attainment he told them to go out and teach themselves and you have these beautiful words which I quote here Go now and wander for the happiness of the many out of compassion for the world for the benefit, welfare and happiness of gods and men Teach the law that is good in the beginning in the middle and good in the end with the meaning and the letter Explain the holy life that is utterly perfect and pure there are beings with little dust on their eyes who will be lost through not hearing the law, the law being the Dharma, or the truth. So these are very famous words, and you often hear them repeated. That uh, I particularly sort of love that, you know, for the welfare and happiness of the many, Bahujan Hitai, Bahujan sukai. So these first Arahants went out and they spread the Buddha's teachings across, across northern India and you'd get the sense of this real snowballing effect. And each of them would probably gather quite a few circle of friends around them. They'd get into dialogue and they would teach what the Buddha taught, no doubt using their own metaphors and similes, making appropriate his teaching for the benefit and happiness of the many. In the same way, Sangha Banti started with a close circle of friends here in the West in the late 60s. And now there is an order of over 1,800 and thousands of mitras and friends aclo- across the globe, I think in 26 countries. The heart of our Sangha is friendship. Banti has always um, made sort of sort of put quite a strong emphasis on friendship, on Kalyana Mitrata, both horizontal, so sort of very much with people who are at the same kind of level of de- development as ourselves, and a bit more vertical. Those who are a bit more, you know, ad- advanced is a funny word to use, but, you know, who've been practicing for longer. Um... So, yes, we read in the Pali Suttas how faith and devotion would be aroused just on meeting the Buddha. Likewise, for many of the um, early order members, Dharmacharis and Dharmacharinis, I think it was probably um, the same when they first met Bhante. I was not one of the very early, and I'm pretty early, but not that early. Um, They'd be in seminar with him. um, They'd hang out with him. They'd do puja with him. They'd meditate with him. People would be sparked off by his understanding of the Dharma and his ability to be able to communicate that appropriately. Um, Yet the spiritual path, and those of us who have been practicing a while will know this, is not always easy, and as the years go by, perhaps it's hard to keep going. Um, Easier sometimes to settle for something less you who are maybe a bit newer um, to coming maybe along to the centre here or into Tri Ratna um, may find this to some degree for yourselves you might have got very sparked off by some very good teachers that we have here at the Cambridge Buddhist Centre or retreat centres um, some of you have maybe sort of given up quite a lot of sort of nice comfort and good jobs and um, good homes and so forth and then, as the years go by, maybe you get a little bit wistful. God, have I done the right thing? Um, I, maybe I could have had a bit more comfort, a bit more money. <laughs> uh, may even start doubting our tradition. Even become estranged from our fellow practitioners. I imagine the fact that you're here that won't be the case at this very moment, anyway. But it is, you know, we all probably have moments of this anyway, and I think it's at times like this that a trusted friend, a Kalyana Mitra, can revive the flame when it's dwindling. Association with spiritual friends can nourish the parts that love the good and the noble, but which can easily get dwarfed in the vicissitudes of life. If we spend a lot of our time with those holding different values, the whole spiritual ideal may not only start to fade, but even feel a little bit unreal. We read in the Dhammapada, a very early Buddhist text, the Buddha saying, associate with the wise, not with fools. Anyway, that's quite clear. In the Mangala Sutta, we hear, What are the greatest blessings? Not associating with fools, associating with the wise, honouring those worthy of honour. This is the greatest blessing. When those first Buddhist disciples themselves went out teaching, Um, maybe every so often they'd sort of meet up with the Buddha again and they would ask him questions and they'd say if wanderers who are members of other sects and let's face it at that time you get the sense in India there were plenty of them around in the jungles um, and and they should ask you what friend are the prerequisites for well the development towards enlightenment Um, you should answer the Buddha says where a monk has admirable people as friends, companions and colleague, colleagues, this is the first prerequisite for the development towards enlightenment, the development towards self self awakening. On so many occasions and sort of preparing a bit for this talk, I would you know, things like, you know, when you kind of got the theme going, it's sort of jumping out of the pages at you all the time. On so many occasions, the Buddha would emphasise the import of good friends and good companions as the fundamental support for spiritual development. On the one hand, it's easy to see how associating with the wise is preferable to spending a lot of time with fools. We probably wouldn't use that word. On the other hand, perhaps more of a danger in our society is Arrogance in thinking we can just do it all on our own. We don't really need other people. We don't need spiritual friends. Or maybe you just need them at the beginning of the spiritual life, but then, you know, then I'm just off on my own. However, I think there's quite a pitfall there. And so my next little story is going to be um, some, somebody I'm sure will know about this, will know about Megia. So Megia was a companion to the Buddha and you get the sense that they've maybe been living together for a few weeks or maybe a month or two. He's very much in the Buddha's um, company. Um, And um, they've gone to this very beautiful place where there's this lovely mango grove. And I know from living in India, mango groves in the heat of the summer are absolutely beautiful because they've got these lush green leaves and these beautiful fruits hanging down off the trees. And Magia sort of sees this mango grove, and so he says to the Buddha, um, Buddha, I'm going to go off to the mango grove and I really want to strive towards awakening and I want to do it on my own. And he asked this the Buddha three times and three times the Buddha sort of says, just stay a little while, stay with me, Magir. Nope, I'm going to go off, I want to do it on my own. And you can almost kind of hear him saying, it's all right for you, Buddha, you've got there, but I've still got quite a lot of work to do. However, tradition. Uh, traditionally sort of if you ask something three times you have to kind of give in so you know the third time the Buddha says what can I say you know you've asked me you want to go off and strive so off you go of course Magir goes off to the mango grove sits down starts meditating what happens his mind gets distracted and his mind it says is occupied by thoughts of sensual desire thoughts of ill will and cruelty and Magir is amazed sounds a bit innocent somehow, or a bit naive I think we'd say, wouldn't we? So he comes back to the Buddha and sort of explains to the Buddha what's gone on. And the Buddha um, is not obviously amazed in the same way, and he says to Magia, when the heart's release is immature, Magia, these five things you need to do, and I'd say probably all of us, our hearts are immature. And the first of these five things is have good friends and companions and then he goes on once you've got your good friends spiritual friends and compassions, com- um, companions then your ethics will be sound your meditation will be transformative your wisdom will grow and final liberation will arise but it all starts from Kalyana Mitrata so you know we can't throw it out <laughs> I found a a good little quote when I was doing a bit of research for this. This is by Nichiren, the Japanese Buddhist monk. Even a feeble person will not stumble if those supporting him are strong. But a person of considerable strength, when alone, may lose his footing on an uneven path. So, friends can keep us on the path of ethics, minding our action, and minding our actions, wisdom will grow. And this is best done through intimacy and empathy with others. Others can help us see our blind spots. So, friends, spiritual friends, may be gentle and sensitive and kindly in their speech, hopefully, and hopefully choosing the moment wisely. Spiritual friends can receive confessions, rejoice in the good, see and love the best in us. Sometimes they may also need to give very direct, even what's sometimes been termed in Ratna, fierce friendship. Especially to overcome our self-deceptions. I think that's probably when fierce friendship is most needed. So my next little story is about um, someone who seemingly had quite a lot of self-deception. So this is about Karshapa. So there are these thousand fire-worshipping ascetics who um, live in the forest, and they're under a leader called Karshapa. Actually, there's three Karshapas I was reading. Um, One of them had 500 disciples, one 300 and one 200, but they seem to be sort of all put together. Anyway, so these thousand fire-worshipping ascetics. And um, the Buddha kind of comes into their company and he says, oh, I'd like to spend the night in the fire chamber. So the fire chamber is some cave. Um, and in that cave, supposedly, there is a ferocious naga, a serpent dragon living, who's powerful and venomous. And so Kashava." doesn't know that the Buddha is the Buddha and he thinks, oh well if this monk wants to go off and risk his life, fair enough, let him go off. (laughs) So the Buddha goes off, lays down his mat mat inside the cave and starts to meditate. The Naga gets angry and pours forth smoke. The Buddha pours out more. Enraged, the Naga produces flames. The Buddha retaliates with more flames. Well, that's the end of that monk, thought Karshava smugly, no doubt looking from the outside. Anyway, morning comes. Out comes the Buddha, completely unscathed, unscathed, with the Naga now curled up in the Buddha's begging bowl. Uh, So Karshava says, hmm, this monk indeed is powerful, but he's not an enlightened master like me. The next evening, the Buddha goes off to a nearby forest, And there, the so-called four great kings, the four protectors of the world, come to visit him. Obviously, we have to take this all on rather a mythical level. Um, And as he taught, it says that the whole forest was illuminated, the whole sky was illuminated. Karshva was pretty impressed by that. Again, he says, this monk indeed is powerful, but he's not an enlightened master like me. Yet the next day, there was some great fire ceremony going to happen to which many devotees were due. Koshpa was still not knowing that the Buddha was Buddha. It was pretty uneasy what the Buddha would do this time and was pretty uh, nervous that he'd attracted rather more attention than he was getting. Anyway, what did the Buddha do? He just kept out of the way. So later, Koshpa asked the Buddha, so why didn't you come? The Buddha said, I could read your mind, so he just decided to keep out of the way. Kashpa was still thinking, this monk is indeed very powerful, but not an enlightened master like me. And various other similar acts occurred. And you kind of get the sense as you read on that the Buddha was beginning to get a little bit sort of wearisome and maybe felt, oh, what this guy needs is a short, sharp shock um, or some fierce Friendship. Um, which needed he, he was needed to help um, to help him see the truth, um, really get that home to Kashyapa. So he comes up to Kashyapa and he says, "Listen, Kashyapa, you are not an enlightened master, nor are you on the way to becoming one. Furthermore, nothing you are doing will enable you to become one, or even to enter the path to enlightenment. Do you understand?" So imagine being on the receiving end of that. So it says with this sort of self-deception, um, uh, well, with, with this these words, all the self-deception of Kashpa crumbled. He recognized the difference, threw himself at the feet of the Buddha and asked to become his disciple. Um, and in a short while, all thousand of the matted hair ascetics that's what they were also called, cut off their matted hair and became disciples of the Buddha. So, yeah, the Buddha was pretty... Um, Powerful and you just feel that he always seems to know the right way to address the right person. He couldn't have had a whimsical sort of nice talk with nice, nice talk with Karshapa. No he needed something much fiercer. So friendship um, well, I've got here be a friend, don't just expect friendship. I think this sort of... uh, Probably one of the others have brought this out in their talks. Um, uh, I think sort of sometimes, you know, we feel, oh, I'm not getting enough friendship. But I think just be a friend. Be a friend as much as we can. Friendship aids self-knowledge. We get to know ourselves best in relationship to others. Being with others, we can clarify ideas through discussion. If we're just with our own ideas and they're never challenged we might be qu- really get quite deluded. We respond in various ways to others, and that tells us a lot about ourselves. So if yes, if we live isolated and locked away, our views aren't challenged and it's easy to become deluded. We can't transform ourselves without knowing what lies within. And friendship, spiritual friendship, Kalyana Mitrata, can be the mirror. So going back to Ananda so the cousin and close disciple of the Buddha the one who said on his death he who we've lost someone, he who is so kind The um, Ananda it said had a very retentive memory It sometimes said he was a bit like a human tape recorder or whatever you are these days I don't know an I something other like um, <clears throat> and um, And whenever the Buddha gave a discourse, it was Ananda who would kind of memorise what he'd said. And and even if he wasn't there, at a later time the Buddha would repeat what he'd said, so Ananda could hear it all and then repeat it to others. And then there's this one time, and and this is an off-quoted little passage, um, but I find it well, it's just sort of very um, well, very pertinent to this talk anyway. And you get the sense that one day Ananda's just sort of sitting there maybe musing and he's saying, oh Buddha, I've just realized that Kalyanamitra is half of the spiritual life. And the affirmation that he got from the Buddha was not what he thought rather than, I imagine he was thinking, the Buddha saying, oh it's great Ananda, yeah, yeah, I agree. And instead the Buddha said, say not so Ananda, say not so. Kalyanamitra is not half of the spiritual life, it is the whole of the spiritual life. And... Um, I think that's where Bhante has kind of taken up that teaching so sort of well in our movement and our order and I don't think our movement would be anything like what it is without that emphasis of Kalyana Mitrata. In the same way that ordinary human personal relationships are necessary for human development, so Kalyana Mitrata in Sangha is necessary for the development of wholesome mental states. Clarity, wisdom and compassion. We need stimulation. We need reassurance on the path. We need enthusiasm of others to grow and develop so as not to lose our footing on an uneven path. Going back to that quote of Nichiren. Spiritual friendship also gives us an opportunity for service, for generosity and to be far less self-centred than many of us are much of the time. So, going on to look at some more examples of friendship at the time of the Buddha. We hear in the Kula Gosinga Sutta of three friends dwelling together, Aniruddha, Kimbila and Nandia. And you get the sense that these three young men, are living together, um, I think, I can't remember whether it was a bamboo grove or the s- squirrels feeding ground, or quite where it is. Anyway, they're sort of on retreat together, and um, so the Buddha comes along, and he wants to engage with them, and he says, "Ask them, well, how do you dwell together? and you feel that the Buddha is really asking for a description here he, does, they don't, he doesn't just want to hear oh it's great we're having a lovely time he says well how he asks it's a very good question how do you dwell together um, so they tell him You know, one of us goes out on the arms ground to get the food one of us clears the space to sit down one of us cleans the dishes and so on and so forth and that sort of harmony of living together and this is very much some of the bricks and mortar of spiritual friendship. An ideal shared way of life, an expression of harmony and empathy. Um, Annie who seems to be the spokesman for the other two, says, Blending like milk and water, we are three in body, but one in mind. And we look a lot upon one another with kindly eyes. So you've sort of got everything there. You've got all that sort of physical work sort of doing that together and being in harmony and with a lot of kindliness between them. So this sort of very much a sense of exchanging self with other and that you hear about sort of throughout um, Buddhism really, the exchanging of self and other. You know, we hear from Shantideva um, Um, who is an Indian Buddhist saint and poet of, I think, the 8th century. He says, All who suffer in the world do so because of desire for their own happiness. All those happy in the world are so because of their desire for happiness of others. For one who fails to exchange his own happiness for the suffering of others Buddhahood is certainly impossible. That's pretty strong. So, living out friendship, we can travel the path from selfishness to selflessness. Um, I've been very fortunate enough over a number of years to spend um, a long time at our retreat center, one of our retreat centers in Spain on the three-month ordination retreats. And, uh, you know, for three months living well away from the world and doing all the practical tasks, um, you know, the cooking and fetching the water and cleaning and burning the loo paper and everything that has to be done, together with studying the Dharma, lots of reflection, lots of meditation, ritual, lofty idealism coming together, spiritual community at its best. Um, You know, I think there we're living as near to maybe how the Anirudas were living. And I'm sure you've all had the sense that um, if you've been on any kind of retreat, that sense of living in harmony, um, which is sort of so beneficial and supportive for spiritual growth and development. So going back to these young men um, uh, practicing together... Um, they go on and tell the Buddha how they meditate together and every few nights they stay up and talk Dharma together. Sounds like they spend the whole night talking Dharma together. So you very much get the sense of their spiritual practice flowing from their friendship and their friendship flowing from their spiritual practice. Spiritual friendship creates Sangha. They are participating in a common spirit that is experienced through friendship. And the Buddha goes on further and asks about their meditation, and again he doesn't just want to say, Oh, you know, are you having a good meditation? He wants to know you know what they're doing, and they tell him in a lot of detail, and it's clear from their answers that they have um, they have a high level of spiritual attainment for which the Buddha is naturally delighted. And affirms their practice. So, the Buddha had many disciples, many friends. He also had a few enemies. Devadatta, who was in some way related to him, can't quite remember how, who seemed to be rather obsessed with ambition and jealousy. And Angulimala, a story which I'm not going to repeat, but probably many of you will know, who was a renowned murderer. His name actually means Anguli is your little finger so he, he, that means an Anguli um, and a mala of little fingers so a necklace of little fingers so he'd murder people and take their little fingers and make a necklace out of them but both Devadatta and Anguli mala through their direct association with the Buddha made progress which they could not have done without the transformative powers of the very good friend the Buddha, the fearless Buddha in this case So now I want to say a little bit about women and friendship at the time of the Buddha. There's not so much written there. Um, Mahaprajapati Mahaprajapati go to me, was the Buddha's um, foster mother. His mother died at birth and um brought him up. And she um, eventually became the founder of the Order of Nuns at the time of the Buddha, not without trial, but that's another story (laughs) Um, she gave access to the Buddha's teaching and practice to many many women of that time, women who may not have been able to come into contact with the Buddha himself or with many of his male disciples she shared with women what it was like to be a woman without the web of family connections after all the Buddha had sort of gone forth and we get the sense she was sort of a bit on her own but she was clearly practicing the Dharma and in India and even in India today family connections are huge and they are what gives status and place in society um, and without which you're pretty much a nobody and at the bottom of the heap so these women be they widowed by husbands lost in battle or bereft of children women would, um, would seek out the advice of Mahapajapati would seek out um, her support and she would give direction they would turn both to Mahapajapati and to each other for friendship and support um, there's a book which is called the Terigata and this is a collection of the songs of the early Buddhist nuns and you've just got the songs I mean all these the, the women who speak out are ones who sort of seem to gain stream entry and way beyond some of them and they're very short little extracts so you, you, you know you sometimes get a bit of a story and then you have this little extract this little poem or song um, but even though they're so short they're very pithy and you do get some powerful glimpses into the many terrible lives that some of them lived prior to coming across the Dharma shackled lies of domesticity husbands who could be brutal to them children dying, hardships of being left alone without a husband starving, abandoned from society I would think there's little doubt that some of these women would have come sort of into the orbit of um, the order of nuns just for comfort and support but others clearly came to resolve the ultimate questions of birth and death and suffering, and sought a new family, a spiritual family, women with shared experience and spiritual aspiration. It said Mahapajapati lived to 120. <sighs> I don't know, um... About that, But anyway, apparently the, visit, the Buddha went to visit her on her deathbed and thereby breaking some of the rules of the monks who weren't supposed to be in very close proximity to the nuns. But anyway, he came to Mahapajapati, And when he saw all the disciples and all the women disciples around her gathered together, um, the Buddha said, look at the disciples all gathered together. Their energy, their sincere efforts this is homage to the Buddhas. And it's not just homage to the Buddha him, it's sort of the Buddhas throughout time. These women formed themselves into co- communities and lived on the outskirts of villages, usually apparently living in quite small shacks. Often two of them sort of they live, have roommates. And this is where I go into speculation, but you can only kind of imagine um, you know, a lot of friendship and sharing of life experience going on just as we do today um, I think women in all societies are um, sort of very good at sharing their life experiences and maybe their sort of inner world so just sort of get the sense of all these women sort of living out there in the forest in a very different life from what would have been expected of them um you know, there's one um, woman who just sounds quite extraordinary, Patacara, um who was going mad with grief when she lost her husband, her children, her parents, all within a few days of each other. There's sort of quite a story of that, some of you will know it. And later, she became one of the foremost teachers. So, many joined the order of nuns, um, you know, from simple um, village people to townsfolk wealthy practitioners and once they entered the order it said that they all lose their caste or class once they join the Sangha and that must have been hugely liberating you know even today in India the caste system is very very rigid um, and to sort of to move into the order and lose that and just be with other people um, whatever their backgrounds very very liberating they weren't all, all um, nuns um, there, was, there were many lay people too there was Dharma dinner, although she sort of went from a lay person and later became a nun um, and she was the one she was an extremely um, bright intelligent woman who um, articulated what we call the spiral path and that's a teaching that Bhante has very much sort of brought out in our order and movement Um, the spiral path, the gap between um, sort of the gap gap between um, feeling and craving, if you can sort of stay in that gap almost feel the um, unsatisfactoriness of things out of that will arise faith out of faith will arise joy and so on and so on, up a spiral to having knowledge and vision of things as they really are and beyond and when she articulated this, and there's a beautiful um, sort of passage which we're I haven't got time to do now where she just sort of says out of this that arises and so forth and at the end she recounts this to the Buddha and the Buddha said that's absolutely right Dhammadina that's exactly how it is I couldn't have said it better myself um Yes, to me. Um, she's another woman who many of you will hear about. But in her little um, sort of song of enlightenment, she has an interesting little bit where she's quoting the Buddha. And she says, The sage looked at the world and said, With good friends, even a fool can be wise. Keep good company and wisdom grows. Those who keep good company can be freed from suffering. So again, the start is Kalyana Mitrata, keeping good company. Later in her Awakening Song, she talks about practicing the Eightfold Path until reaching the great peace. So we read on again on many occasions, um, both there and then uh, and in other sort of um, bits in the Pali Canon how Keeping spiritual friends can help us to practice the Eightfold Path, the path that leads ultimately to the end of suffering. Quite likely, many would have gone forth for friendship. And friendship would have given their Dharma practice and support the encouragement to go all the way to stream entry and beyond as the Buddha was to say to a young woman Mita, Mita you who have left home in trust take delight in friends cultivate good qualities to gain good peace to gain peace so you get this sort of strong sense of this what I've called a sort of cradle of friendship amongst these women in particular Um, as I was looking into them which is not so much as written in which the truth teachings can be held and understood. And I'd say it's just so with us today. Another laywoman was that of Queen Malika. So as we know, Buddha taught all sorts, prostitutes and queens. Um, So clearly the Buddha had a great respect um, for Queen Malika. She had great devotion towards the Buddha from a very young age. And the Pali Canon is dotted with stories of her meetings with the Buddha. You get the sense, again, you know, the Buddha really getting into dialogue with her, sort of understood her, her role in life as a queen, um, and gave friendship and advice according to who she was and the role she held in society. Um, Malika, when she, she married King Pasenadi, that's what made her a queen, and Managed to remain in good harmony with her husband, as well as adhering to the Buddha's teachings, which perhaps wasn't always so easy. Um, in fact, it said she often pointed her husband towards the Buddha. Monica, you get the sense when sort of reading a bit of her background, she was not a pushover, and you could read dis- about yeah, I could read about disagreements she'd have with her husband, and sometimes her husband was quite cruel to her. Um, but even so she was ever kind and faithful and nursed her husband through sicknesses she resolved to always be gentle towards her subjects and never envy anyone who was happy she produced a daughter in India people like sons and if you're a queen you've got to have sons (laughs) the king was peeved and later took a second wife that probably really tested Malika however it said she must have been pretty amazing she was not jealous and rather than feel feel a failure at not producing sons the Buddha said to her because she sort of went a bit distraught you know I haven't produced sons and the Buddha said to her a son may have armies and reign countries but a daughter may give much more joy furthermore the Buddha goes on a woman was superior to a man if she was clever, virtuous well behaved and faithful so that's what the Buddha said to Malika another male lay disciple is that of Anathapindika I've just got two more and then I'll conclude Anathapindika so Anathapindika was very much a friend to the Buddha and his many monk disciples giving them accommodation for their rainy season retreats when it rains in India it really rains you know, for three months on end sometimes. Um, so I think he, it sounds like he built some sort of shacks there. And due to um, Anathapindika's contact with the Buddha, he made great spiritual progress as a layperson. You get the sense the Buddha rarely kind of tried to make a layperson who was quite happy being a layperson become a monk. I mean, it's, it's all a bit different in our day anyway, but you sort of get the sense then he, he was just so human in his responses. Um, in later life it's said that Pindika made some rather bad business mistakes and lost all his money. And rather than being sad at his own demise, he was only saddened that he couldn't give more money away. The Buddha praised him for his great material generosity. But even higher praise came to the layman Hatika. So this is the last person I'm going to say, talk about. So Hataka was famous not so much for his generosity or his knowledge of Dharma, but for his ability to attract people to the Dharma. Once, it said, he brought 500 people, all obviously keen to practice the Dharma, to see the Buddha who asked him, and I'm going to quote here, How do you manage to interest so many people in the Dharma? Hatika answered, Lord, I do it by using the four bases of sympathy which you yourself have taught me. When I know that somebody can be attracted by generosity I am generous. When I know that they can be attracted by kind words I speak to them with kindness. When I know that they can be attracted by doing a good turn I do them a good turn and when I know they can be attracted by treating them equally I treat them with equality Clearly, when people attended talks on Dharma organised by Hatika they always received a warm personal, friendly welcome that made them feel liked and respected so that they would come again and again and again gradually getting interested in the Dharma The Buddha praised Hattika for his skill. Now the cynic in us might say, oh God, that was a bit sort of, was that sort of wheeling and dealing a bit. But no, the Buddha praised him for his skill. Well done, Hattaka, well done. This is the way to attract people. The story goes on. After Hattaka had left, the Buddha said to the monks, consider it true that Hattika is is possessed of these eight marvellous and wonderful qualities he has faith virtue conscientiousness and fear of blame he is learned generous and wise while some it seems took great pride in their wealth or motivated by self-aggrandizement to convert others to the dharma hatika by contrast was always quiet and unassuming he did all he could to interest people in the dharma purely out of concern for them not to make a name for himself and you see this played out on another occasion when the monks told Hatika that the Buddha had praised his many qualities Hatika replied you can almost imagine him blushing I hope there were no lay people present when the Lord did this the monks assured him that there were none and later they went back and told the buddha what hatika had said and the buddha said well done well done that man hatika is genuinely modest <laughs> he does not like good qualities to be known by others modesty the buddha says is another of hatika's good qualities so you get this lovely sense of a sort of mutual and heartfelt rejoicing in the good and the noble Hatiko wanting all his friends to meet the Buddha, hear the Dharma, and the Buddha wanting to know how he managed to create such a healthy and inspired sangha, and then rejoicing in his merits. This lovely mutual rapport of friendliness and well-wishing. So it was some—I can't quite remember—something like 48 years ago that Banti started our movement with and our order with a circle of friends. And an ever-widening circle, the Sangha has certainly grown, our particular Sangha, Tri Ratna, and indeed Sangha's particularly, I'd say, in the Western world. And much of that has been done through de- the development and cultivation of spiritual friendship, Kalyana Mitrita. We do need to keep the fire alive within us. Otherwise, Tri Ratna could merely become an institution lacking spiritual vitality. The Cambridge Buddhist Centre could, hopefully it won't, (laughs) simply be a night school for learning about Buddhism without heart or contagion, that sort of attraction that comes about through rubbing up with others on the spiritual path. So I believe that Kalyana Mitrata benefits not only us here and now, but also future generations hence that quote of the Buddha to Ananda Kalyanamitrata is the whole of the spiritual life through Kalyanamitrata we go beyond the individual and something else comes into being the community in harmony and friendship with outward facing communication it's not just interned on ourselves so I'm going to end with some words of the Buddha and I put this into the feminine for a change although it was said in the masculine the Buddha said a friend endowed with seven qualities is worth associating with which seven she gives what is beautiful what is hard to give does what is hard to do and endures painful ill-spoken words her secrets, she tells you, your secrets she keeps. When misfortunes strike, she doesn't abandon you. When you're down and out, she doesn't look on you. she doesn't look down on you. A person in whom these traits are found is a friend to be cultivated by anyone wanting a friend. And to paraphrase what he says on many different occasions, as relevant 2,500 years ago as today, there is no condition of life that more powerfully influences our development than cultivating wholesome friends and companions. Start with yourself as you are today and build on your strengths to become a better friend and companion to others. And choose who you spend time with carefully. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please help us keep this free. Make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. And thank you.